Dear respected elders and brothers, mothers and sisters, dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Last week where Tilawa was done, but where we, the, the tafsir where Mufti bin had stopped, inshallah, will continue from there and we'll ask Allah to put barakah in our time. Uh, the, as the mention of the prophets is going on, and he had stopped at the discussion of Idris alayhi salatu wasalam. And ayah 56 of Surah Maryam, ayah 56 of Surah Maryam. Allah says, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ Idris," And mention also in the book, O Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi the tidings of Idris, إِنَّهُ كَانَ صَدِّقًا نَبِيًّا Indeed, he too was ever truthful and eminent prophet. So we have about uh, 20... Uh, what is that? Approximately 30 verses or so left. But I'm going to see if we can, because the stories have, have been completed. So maybe we'll just read through it and go over some translation, inshallah, today. Because this is the last session before Ramadan. Um, and then, inshallah, after Ramadan, Allah wills, we can start an, another surah. Inshallah. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says that Idris, salam, he was ever truthful and eminent prophet. Regarding Idris, he is one of the earliest prophets. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant, you know, why his name is Idris. Some have said this comes from dirasa. Um, scholars have refuted this opinion Saying that this word comes from dirasa studying But they do say however That the original word may have some connotation of reading That Idris والسلام, was the one who would be reciting or reading The, uh, the scripture that Allah had revealed upon him And Allah says he was ever truthful and an eminent prophet So two different qualities Because not every truthful person is a prophet he was a prophet, but on top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him, uh, gave him this, the, the title of being ever truthful. And his status was such that he is the first one who Allah inspired him to learn how to and teach how to sew. He's the first person who wore sewed clothing. So the prophets who came, the prophets who came early in, during the earliest times, they were not just teaching sharia, they were not just teaching people how to establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth. Beyond that, they were also teaching how to, lead an, how to lead a life, how to wear clothes, how to do farming, these type of things. Because this was the earlier times. So Idris alayhi salatu salam, since he's one of the earliest prophets, in terms of many of the normal things that humans now for thousands of years have been doing, they were taught through the prophet, prophet Idris. And then Allah says, we raised him in name and station to a high place. So this is speaking about his status in the heavens. It comes in a riwayah that Rasulullah in Mi'raj, he went through the various heavens. And each heaven of the seven heavens, he saw prophets. And so with Idris والسلام, he saw him in the fourth heaven. Fourth heaven. So this is what is referred to that. Allah says these are the ones we've done Musa, we've done Harun, we did Idris, we did Ismail, we did Ishaq, we've talked about of course Ibrahim. Right? Extensively. Who are these people? Allah said, these are some of the great ones upon whom Allah has bestowed His grace from amongst the prophets and the children of Adam and from those whom we carried in the ark with Nuh 
and from the children of Ibrahim and Yaqub and from those whom we have guided to true faith and selected as prophets. When the verses of all the all merciful recited to them, they fell to the ground and worshiped to him alone, bowing their faces down and weeping. In, the, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about all the prophets so far from this surah that we have studied and heard their beautiful stories in the past many, many weeks. Allah says, those are chosen people. Allahu alayhim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them. They were chosen, they were selected. What is some of the attributes of these chosen people? Is that whenever verses of Allah are recited, meaning whenever Qur'an is recited or their verses from their scriptures recited, they soften up. They fall into prostration and bowing their faces and, their, and begin to weep. Meaning the sign of a true Muslim and a one who has been selected by Allah is that when he hears the verses of the Qur'an, he gets goosebumps. He feels that the Qur'an is actually really speaking to me. The opposite of it is Allah mentions When they hear the verses, they act dumb and deaf. It doesn't affect them. That's a sign of disbelief. The sign of belief is that our heart gets moved when the Quran is recited and we become teary-eyed. Um, so for all of us, we may not be at a level where we feel like, you know, we can easily cry. And that's not because we're not understanding Arabic language. It's because our heart has become very hard. Just every single person who understands the Arabic language does not cry when he hears the Quran. What about all the disbelievers who heard the Quran being recited by the Prophet himself? And all it did is make them turn away more. And there are others who don't understand a word of the Arabic language. They don't even understand, they're not even reading a translation. They just simply hear the Quran being recited and they begin to weep. What is it? Because this weeping comes from the condition of the heart. When the heart is softened and the heart believes that these, this is the word of my Lord, then even if he doesn't understand it, it leaves a very powerful effect. So we should be encouraged we, that our relationship with the Quran needs to improve as the blessed month of Ramadan is just a week, less than a week away. This should be a month inshallah where we all make this intention that I want to reach a level of connection with the Quran that when the Quran is being recited, I'm able to you know, feel the power of it. When you're gonna stand up in taraweeh inshallah, when the Quran is being recited, I want it to have an effect on my heart. <clears throat> when the verses, Allah says, after these prophets and the progeny and the chosen people left, who did they leave behind? The descend, then descending from them thereafter came descendants who forsook, who forsook the prayer and followed their whims. And thus they shall meet, they shall meet with degradation. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the fact that the prophets and the chosen ones, they did what they were supposed to do. But then a group of people came after them. Who are these people? Some have said this is referring to the Christians who came after the Jews in order. Some have said this is referring to the people of this ummah who will come towards the very end of times. What is khalaf? You may have heard this, students of knowledge. Khalaf and khalf, two words. Khalaf with the fatha and the lam means people who are good people who are following the footsteps of the righteous people before them. And khalf with the sukoon, with, uh, with no fatha and the lam, means people who are going against the good of the previous people and are turned their back against uh, the people of the past and have ruined what, what, they, uh, uh, what the elders left behind. That's why they say, kun khayra khalafin li khayri salafin, that become a very good khalaf for the very good salaf. Salaf are the elders, the previous ones. They were pious, righteous people. Then we need to be representatives of them. 
So there is a statement, there's a hadith, whoever's actions are bad and evil, and batta means slow down, whosever actions slow him down, then his, his high lineage will not be able to push him forward to paradise. It's not sufficient to say my grandfather was so-and-so, or I come from a lineage of so-and-so. It doesn't help if our actions themselves are weak. So here we have people who came after these prophets. Good, righteous people, but then those who came after them, two major sins. salah. They wasted away their prayer. Okay? They, they forsook their prayer. What does it mean to forsake the prayer? One explanation is that they simply denied it, didn't pray. So obviously not praying and denying it is an act of kufr, it's an act of disobedience. Or, salah means not performing it properly. And this is an opinion that many have taken. Leaving prayer intentionally is, an, uh, is a major sin upon which a person will be uh, uh, punished unless he returns and repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it's just not about leaving prayer. It's about how we perform it. That's a very important point. That maybe many of, inshallah, we're all praying. The issue is about the quality of it. That's a, that is what we have to focus on. If we're praying it after its time, we're praying it at the very end of the time, this is what happens. The Prophet ﷺ saw a man came, he performed salah, and then Rasulullah said, Salli fa innaka lam tusalli, go back, irja, go back, fasalli, go pray, innaka lam tusalli, you haven't prayed. He came and repeated it two more times, and each time the Prophet ﷺ said, go back, repeat your prayer, you have not performed your prayer properly. The reason is that he was not doing his ruku' and sajda properly, or he was not performing his salah with the quality that it was supposed to. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? Lam tusalli, you haven't prayed. So wasting away prayer is not simply not praying it. It also includes praying it without proper quality. <clears throat> he saw a man, one of the companions, he saw a man performing salah, and he, did, he was shortchanging his salah. You know, shortchanging it, quick, quick sajda, not doing it properly. He asked him, How long have you been performing this type of prayer? He said, For 40 years I've been praying it. He said, this never counted. You haven't prayed. If you were to die praying like this, you're going to be dying on not under religion of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. All right. So that's why one important aspect of our salah is that we need to ensure that we, as we say, we don't do a rolling stop. You know, you get a ticket for that, even if you stopped at the stop sign. But you do a rolling stop, you get a ticket for that. Similarly, in our salah, when we're going from posture to posture, we cannot do rolling stops. When you go into ruku', it has to be a complete standstill. Right? Three seconds minimum. Subhanallah, subhana rabbil azim, subhana bil ala. Right? Three times, for three seconds, complete still, where all our joints stop. And then we go, stand up from our ruku', also complete stop. Into sajda, complete stop. So, uh, Many times we just got a habit of doing rolling stops, just continuously up and down. You know, and we are grown men. We're not kids. We're grown men. And it's, it may take someone else to come say, do you just see what you just did right now? Seriously. It may take someone to record how we're praying and for us to look at it and say, oh my God, I can't believe I just prayed that. Because we've just gotten so accustomed to praying like that, we have absolutely no idea what we're doing. It will take someone to stop and say, brother, may I speak to you for a second? And he turns around and he says, what happened? He says, do you know what you did? You're going to feel hurt. You're going to get insulted. You're going to feel upset probably. But if you were to see a recording of that, you'll realize, subhanAllah, this person is actually my muhsin. He's, my, he's, he's very kind. He's being very kind to me that he's pulling me out of this heedlessness. 
Because many of us have just gotten accustomed to that. We, you might come to the masjid, let's say Ramadan is coming, you're gonna be here before Maghrib, inshaAllah, making dua whatnot. You might see people coming in before Maghrib salah to pray their Maghrib, to pray their Asr. And that's what exactly what happens. The Prophet specifically mentioned, he said, Tilka salatul munafiq. He said, that is the salah of a hypocrite. What is the salah of a hypocrite? Yajlis, he sits, yarqubu shams, he waits till just about the sun is about to set. When the sun is right between the horns of the Satan, that's what the you know devil worshippers and the Satanists make their you know ibadah at that time. He says, when the sun is between the horns of the shaitan, qama he stands up. Naqra is the pecking of a chicken or a rooster. He pecks the ground four times, four rakats, right like that, up and down, up and down, kiss the ground. He doesn't remember Allah, but for a very little one second. He said that is the salah of a hypocrite. So maybe sometimes we'll end up doing that or seeing that. We need to be, we need to be aware of this. That this is what idhiyaa salah means. Salah being wasted away. So dear brothers, uh, you know, we might have a habit of driving fast and then we just have to, you know, it's just a habit. We have a habit of speaking fast. We have a habit of drinking fast. We have a habit of dribbling fast. We have all sorts of habits. We may just have a habit of performing salah fast. So until you don't conscientiously put a stop, and put the brakes, is not gonna change. We'll be 60 years old, and we'll be praying like we're a second grader in Sunday school. Same way. Because we just never reflected upon it. It requires reflection. So what's a great way of, of slowing down? Is like at least two rakats a day, right? Sunnah after Isha. Maybe you're in your right state of mind. Sunnah after Isha. Sunnah after Maghrib. You say, you know what? I'm gonna time myself. It's 8.01 right now. I'm gonna pray these two rakats salah till 8.06. Like five minutes, minimum. If I look at the watch and I made salam, it's 8.03, I'm going to do another two. I remember when, we, when the madrasa was what's much, much smaller, when you were doing hivs, we would have smaller kids, you know, in smaller madrasa, we would make sure before, when the dhuhr sunnah, when the kids would line up, we'd have a t- stopwatch, right? Say four minutes. Four rakats of dhuhr, four to five minutes. Anything less than that, you stand up and repeat your sunnah, right? So the benefit of that is we get accustomed to slowing down. It, it actually, just like anything else, you have to practice makes you perfect. Similarly, performing salah slowly requires practice. And I would suggest all of us work on it in this blessed month of Ramadan. Right? Use your uh, tahajjud time. Use any time of the day. Choose one salah that you say, this one I'm going to time myself. Like how people time themselves to increase the speed. We're going to time ourselves to slow down our speed. So that we reach at a level where we just can't pray. I remember a good friend of a classmate of mine from Pakistan when I was studying. And I, I've shared his story before. Very, very uh, jovial, uh, you know, class clown. But one amazing quality about him was that he used to perform salah very slowly. And uh, whenever we used to say, hey, you know what, we're going to go out to eat or something. Or, so we're going somewhere. We'd say, let's pray Lohar quickly and let's go. He would turn around, that same jokester would turn around and say, and he would get angry and he would say, I cannot pray salah fast. We all need to go, go. Don't tell me, don't ever use this word, pray salah quickly. Right? And he would sit there, his four akats would take maybe seven, eight minutes. Right? But that was the beautiful quality he had, instilled within him from a young age, obviously. So these are, this is what we need to work on this blessed month of Ramadan. Not just praying salah, but making sure that our rukur and sajda is done properly, slowly. And one good way to do that is don't do subhanahu al-azim, subhanahu al three times. Why do we have to do it three times? Do it nine, do it 11, do it 13, do it 15. As many as you can in your nafil, you can, and sunnah as well. You can do more. Odd number, as long as it's odd number, do it as much to slow yourself down. That's one, one advice I'm giving you to myself and all of us. Number two, 
is that between the two sajdas, instead of saying, oh, what should I do? I gotta go back. I gotta run back to the sajda. No. Do dua at that time. We all can memorize, Allahumma ghfirli. We all know, Allahumma ghfirli. Allah forgive me. Just say that. Say that nine times. Say that eleven times. Allahumma ghfirli. Allahumma ghfirli. Allahumma ghfirli. So when you have something to recite between the postures, that will force you to slow down. Okay? When you stand up from ruku'ah, Rabbana lakal hamd. You can add a little bit more than that. Rabbana lakal hamd. Hamdan kathiran, tayyiban, azeeman, mubarakan fee, kama yahibu rabbana wa yarda. That's not it. Actually, it's longer than that. Allahumma lakal hamd. Mila samawat, wa mila al-ard, wa mila ma bainahuma, mila ma shi'ta min shi'in ba'd. Ant ahlu al-thana'i wa al-majd. Haqqu ma qal al-abd. Wa kulluna laka abdun. La mani al-ma a'tayt. Wa la mu'ati al-ma manat. Wa la rad al-ma qadayt. Wa la yanfa'u dal jaddi min kal-jad. This is seriously between ruku' and, and uh, sajda. This long dhikr. All right? So there's so much more. This is a perfect time in Ramadan to say, you know what, I did what you just read, I want to memorize that. Go ahead. This is available in all the books everywhere, internet everywhere. Read the dua, memorize the dua of qawma. Memorize the dua of, 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 uh, of you know, jalsa. Qawma is when you stand up from ruku'ah. Jalsa is between the two sajdas. And if we don't know anything of these, just say Allahumma ghfirli between the two sajdas. And when we stand up, you can just do praise Allah. You can praise Allah with Allahu Akbar. You can praise Allah with Subhanallah. You can praise Allah with Alhamdulillah. Got it? So until we memorize it, read these tasbihat. And inshallah, we will start enjoying our prayers. Because right now, we don't enjoy our prayers. We know, let's be very frank. We're not enjoying our prayers because we're going through it so quickly. When we slow down, then the quality of it will increase. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for myself and all of us to work on our salah regularly and especially in the blessed month of Ramadan. Ameen. وَاتَّبَعُ shahwat. Second major problem that they all used to do and they are, are going to be doing, these people who come later in latter generations, is follow their desires. Shahawat. What does that mean? That shahwa is anything that your nafs wants, your lower self wants, and that goes against uh, uh, the, 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 the injunctions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Hassan Basri explained it. He said, عَطَّلُوا masajid, They left the masjids empty. And they became busy in their workplaces and the material things. That's happening today. That's what shahawat means. Masjids are empty, workplaces and malls and gyms are packed. So this, these two major sins is what uh, will ruin the people who come afterwards. Okay, the, what will happen to them? They shall meet up with degradation. What does ghay mean? Ghay either it means degradation and and, and, you know, uh, dishonor and punishment in this dunya. Or, ghayya specifically means a valley in hellfire. That Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, It is a valley in hellfire. And what, what is the qualities of this valley? Um, ibn Abbas says, that the rest of the valleys of Jahannam seek Allah's protection from the, from the heat of this valley. And in this valley is a well. Whenever the fire of hell starts becoming a little bit less, Allah will open up this well. And from this well in Ghai, such immense powerful fire will pour out that it will rekindle the fire of hell. And then Abdullah Abbas says, Allah has prepared this valley. For who? Lizani al-Musir al-Zina. For that fornicator who is consistent on his fornication. For that drunkard who, who continues to constantly drink alcohol. And you know, haram, other things. Number three, The one who takes in wealth and money of usury and interest. 
and he doesn't back away from usury. And number four, those who are dishonorable, who are, who are disrespectful to their parents. And number five, for those who give false testimony. And number six, for a lady who, brings, who attributes to her husband a child that doesn't belong to him. So these six sins, the one who's committing zina, the one who's drinking, the one who's consuming riba, the one who's disrespectful to parents, and the one who gives false testimony and someone who attributes to their spouse what doesn't belong to them. These are very common sins, extremely common. And these are the people who are going towards that valley in hell. May Allah protect us all. Dear friends, blessed month of Ramadan is not just a Ramadan of doing lots of ibadah. It is a month in which we are supposed to repent from our major and minor sins. So every one of us needs to take stock of themselves to see, am I involved in any of these things? When it comes to these sins, that's obvious. Drinking, I know if I drink or not. I know if I commit zina or not. That's there. But when it comes to the rights of fellow human beings, hukuk, sometimes we just don't realize that we are obnoxious. We don't realize that we're disrespectful. We don't realize that we hurt people's feelings. For that, we have to ask people. We need to ask our siblings. We need to ask our parents. We need to ask our spouse. We need to ask our children. That I want you to be honest with me. Right? What are the things? How am I with you? Because we are, you know, we, uh, we lead a life like a big elephant that doesn't have side view mirrors and rear view mirrors. Just plowing through life. Hitting this one, hitting that one. Breaking this one's heart. Stomping on that one. Not knowing what we're doing. And it takes high level of introspection, high level of reflection to stop and to say, okay, how am I leading my life? You know, it's a, ask yourself, would if, 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 my, if those of us who are married, will my spouse have given an opportunity in seclusion, would they, would they badmouth me to say, you know what, man, my husband is like this, or my wife is like that? Ask yourself. If you don't know, go ask your spouse today. Right, seriously. That if you were to give an opportunity anonymously to write about me, anonymously without me knowing, what would you say? Okay, for the kids to ask their parents, if you had an opportunity to, 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 to say something about me privately to, the, to my mentor, to, to the imam of the masjid, or, or, or to my basketball football coach, what would you say? Would you say, I've got the best son, best daughter? Or would you say, man, please make dua, give me a pill. You know, give me some amulet. My son and my daughter are just the biggest pain. The amount of mothers that reach out to me to speaking about their sons, it's really scary. Regularly, regularly, every single week, mothers reach out to me. Right? So hurt, so hurt by what their sons do to them, what their daughters do to them. And they, they need to wake up. They need to realize that whatever you're doing in life, you're not gonna, you're really, you're fooling yourself. You know, you're really fooling yourself if your mother has to, is forced to pick up the phone and call the imam of the masjid or call someone to say, this is what I'm, serve, this is what I'm faced at the hands of my child. Where do you think, how long is it gonna last? How long is your so-called success going to last? It's not. You're going you know, to fall down flat real hard, real soon. And so we don't realize that. We just don't get it. That what is it that I'm doing at home that would make my parents do that? Obviously, these kids don't realize it. They're very respectful, let's say, in front of the imam. Very respectful. But at home, they have broken the heart of their mother. No matter, your respect to anyone has no bearing if you're disrespectful to your mother. Right? Whatever you do outside is, is, is eyewash. If your mother is upset at you, if your dad is upset at you, then everything else is bekaar, useless. Like, who are we deceiving? So these are things in the blessed month of Ramadan that we need to do. We need to go back at home and we need to see what do people say about us? How can I improve as a son, as a daughter, as a son-in-law, as a daughter-in-law, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, so forth.
Allah says, except for those who repent and believe and do righteous deeds, they shall enter the gardens of paradise and they will not be wronged in the least. What type of paradise will they enter? Jannati Adn. Gardens, uh, uh, everlasting gardens. Which the All-Merciful has promised His servants in the unseen. Indeed, He is the one whose promise ever comes true. Powerful. What is Jannah? Jannah is everlasting. Your spring break came and went, gone. Your summer break will come and go, gone. Like this. There's no life enjoyment that remains forever. Your birthday is, is 12 hours long. Your wedding day is 12 hours long. Anything you name it has a beginning and an end. But paradise is a place that will never end. Number one. Number two, you can't see it. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising it. It's in the unseen. But Allah says, guess what? My promise will definitely come true. How many times we've been let down by people? They gave us their word and they backed away. How many times we've been let down by business partners and this and that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one. He will not let you down. He says, my promise will definitely come true. But it's in the unseen. You have to put your faith in the unseen and only then you'll get that reward. When you get into paradise, you will not hear any vile talk. No swearing, no cursing, no backbiting, no, no uh, calling each other names. None of that. Because guess what? Even in the most beautiful, luxurious home or vacation place, if someone starts trash-talking you, your vacation is ruined. Your enjoyment in that home is gone. When husband and wife start bickering in a multi-million dollar home, is there any peace in that home? No peace, right? When son and daughter start bickering with their parents in a huge mansion, there's peace, happiness, luxury, nothing, all gone out the drain. The tongue ruins the best day of your life. The tongue ruins the most beautiful ambiance. So paradise, the tongue will be locked up. There will be no bad, no evil talk in tongue, by the tongue. Everyone will be saying nice things. Illa salama, only salam. Salutations. Everyone's going to be saying salam to each other. And when you say salam, it doesn't just say assalamu alaikum. It means talk of peace, nice things. Like you are, enjoyable things will be here. And salam not only from each other, but salam from the angels. And also from Surah Yasin, we hear salamun qawlam min rabbir rahim. Salam from Allah Himself. And that is what paradise is. fiha. Their provisions will be served with, to the people in paradise. You will get food, bukratan wa morning and evening. Morning and evening, you know, at that time, to eat one meal a day was normal. To eat two meals a day was huge. Only the kings would eat, to eat two meals a day. Now we eat six meals a day. <laughs> right? The purpose of morning and evening here means that always the buffet is open. Right? This doesn't mean there's sunrise and sunset in paradise. It comes in riwayat. What does it mean? How do you know when the sun, when, how do you know when it's day or in the night? He says, there's some, uh, some tafsiri riwayat mention or some tafsiri narrations mention is that the blinds will close and the doors will lock and people will just stay inside and enjoy life now inside. That's a sign that is night. And the sign of the day is everyone's out. But besides that, it doesn't mean that it's dark or, you know, or the sun is not there, etc. Because the, the, the system of day and night doesn't exist over there. So the, the, the gist of this is that there will always be food available being served to them. Tilka al-jannah, Allah says, this is the gardens of delight. Which we shall bequeath to those of our servants who are God-fearing. Okay, nurith comes from the word wiratha. Allah says in the 18th Jews, those are the people who are going to inherit firdaus. Why the word inherit? Inheritance has come. Because when a person dies and he leaves behind you something in inheritance, can you push it back to him? 
You can't. He's gone, he's dead, he's given it to you. It means complete ownership. You can't say, no, no, I don't want this. It's come to you. Similarly, the people of paradise, when they will receive paradise, it will be as, you know, that, with such surety that they will receive Jannah and such confirmation, but they can't back away from it. It will be 100% theirs forever. This is why the word wiratha has been used. Inheritance. That they will be inheriting the, the paradise. Man kana taqiyya, those who have fear of Allah. Now, there was a time when Jibreel, moving on to our next topic, there was a time when Jibreel did not come to the Prophet for many days. Some narrations, narrations mentioned 12, some narrations mentioned 40, etc. He, he did not come. So the Prophet told Jibreel, Oh Jibreel, what is stopping you from visiting us more than you, you visit us? We are you know, missing you. We, really, we would like you to come. Mujahid says it was 12 nights. Some say 15, some say 13, some say 3. So the Prophet said that you've taken so long that I'm, I'm really missing you. Jibreel said, Inni kuntu ashuku. I also have a desire to meet you, O Muhammad. But I am simply a servant of Allah who takes commands from Allah. I'm Jibreel, yes, but I am a servant of Allah who takes commands from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When I'm sent, I come. When I'm held back, I stay back. I cannot come without, with, on my own will. Right, so, and Allah commands Jibreel to say, We angels do not descend, O Muhammad, but at the command of your Lord. So if Rasulullah cannot just call the angels whenever he wants, you know, this just kind of tells us where, who are we? You know, many times a person says, I want this, I want this to happen, I want this to happen in my life. Nabi is abd, Jibreel is abd. Who do you think you are? If the Prophet is, say, is a servant of Allah, every single thing he is dependent upon Allah. And Jibreel Amin, the biggest of the angels, right? SubhanAllah, most powerful, most largest creation of Allah. And he's saying, I can't move without Allah's permission. So, where do we, you and I stand? To Allah belongs whatever is before us, whatever is before us, whatever is behind us, and what is between this. Moreover, never is your Lord forgetful. Meaning, it's not that Allah forgot that you're waiting, or that Allah forgot that people are asking you questions, etc. We know Allah tested the Prophet when he did not say, Insha'Allah, in Surah Al-Kahf. He did not say, Insha'Allah. The Yahud came and asked him questions. He said, I'll let you know tomorrow. He didn't say, Insha'Allah. And when he didn't say inshallah, Jibreel didn't come. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to remind Rasulullah that you cannot say for everything you have to say inshallah. Even you're, you're gonna, you said, I'm gonna give you an answer tomorrow. You didn't say inshallah, now I'm gonna have to make you wait. And every day they say, Where's the answer? See, we told you you didn't have the answer. Imagine how that feels. Imagine how that feels. Allah, please send me, send me the answer. I told them tomorrow. Allah says, Nope. One day go by, two, by, two days go by, days go by, maybe even up to two weeks goes by, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not send the answer to the Prophet it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to fathom. How much emotional difficulty Rasulullah must have gone to face these people every day, and may, who probably definitely making fun of him, saying, we knew you didn't have the answer, see? And every day he's like, okay, please give me more time. But this is the system of Allah. This is the system of Allah. You know, that even if you're a prophet or not a prophet, there's certain ways Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works. And we just got, if you make a mistake, you have to kind of pay the price for it. You know, Allah wants us to show, learn. That if you don't say inshallah, things are going to happen. What does inshallah tell us? It creates humility and humbleness. No matter how big of a titan you are, business, you know, dynasty you run, or whoever you may be, make sure you say inshallah for everything. Your power, your might, your wealth will not be able to even help you drink this 
bottle of water if Allah doesn't will. Right? So this insha'Allah is a really beautiful, uh, you know, we should have a whole talk on insha'Allah. One day insha'Allah. <laughs> right? Because it really, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing part of our deen. Why we've been taught to say insha'Allah. And one key thing I'm telling you is that it creates within us humility and humbleness in all states. He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and all that is between them. So worship Him alone. And persevere patiently in His worship. Do you know any other who bears resemblance to Him? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that now that Allah is the, angel, the Lord of all the angels and everything that's before them and after them and between them and He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth when you got that then you have no one else to worship besides Him. Allah says, فَاسْطَبِرْ وَاسْطَبِرْ Istabir comes from the word sabr. Meaning to worship Allah, it requires patience. It's not easy. You have to be consistent for your fajr. You have to be consistent for your isha. You have to be consistent in your fasting. You have to be consistent in guarding your gaze. You have to be consistent in, in having good character. You cannot lose your cool in any situation. All of this requires patience. So ibadah, if you want to become a true abid, it requires all of us to have High level of patience. And then Allah asks us, do you know anyone who has a name similar to mine? Meaning, is there anyone out there who is called Allah? Is there anyone out there who is called Rahman? And the answer is obviously no. insan, The disbeliever, he says, Can it be then when I have died, I shall again be brought forth alive? Meaning, the disbeliever, he makes fun of Islam. He makes fun of the concept of the hereafter. And he says, are you telling me after I die, we're going to get raised back? So this is referring to possibly Ubay ibn Khalaf, right? He found uh, disintegrating bones. And he took these disintegrating bones and he broke them in his hands. And he said, Muhammad claims that we are going to be raised after death. This makes no sense. This is what he said. So Allah is quoting him here. And others have said this has been related regarding another disbeliever, Walid ibn Mughayrah. Whoever it may have been. But the idea was that they thought it was a far-fetched idea to think that a human being will be raised up after he dies. Allah then responds, Does not man remember that we indeed have created him before and he was nothing? If you believe that you came out of nothingness into where you stand today, how hard is it for, for us to bring you back once we have you in place. If, you, if, if I were to build a beautiful Lego model in front of you, in, out of thin air, now I have it in front of you, now I break it up in front of you into pieces, into a thousand pieces of Lego pieces. And then you tell me, I bet you can't build that again. <laughs> Why not? If I brought it out of thin air like this, now you have the pieces in front of you, and they're broken, yes, but they're in front of you, the pieces. How hard is it for this person to bring it back together? Simple, it's easier. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is responding to these people who are just not thinking appropriately. Saying, when, when you ask them who created you, insaltum, Allah said, when you ask the disbelievers who created them, insaltum, if you ask the kuffar of Makkah who created the heavens and the earth, most definitely they'll say Allah created the heavens and the earth. That was their belief. But then you ask them and say, don't you think you're going to face Allah after death? And they say, no, that's not possible. All right. So um, sometimes people make such foolish statements. Allah says, فَوَرَبِّكْ Subhanallah. Then by your Lord, Allah is taking an oath upon Himself. And which He didn't just say, Allahi, I swear by Allah. He says, I take an oath on your Lord. Who's your Lord referring to? The Prophet. Right? Yani, the Lord of the Prophet. The Lord of Muhammad. I take an oath on the Lord of Muhammad. We shall most surely round them up. Hashab, 
round them up. All these people who are speaking evil about me and about the resurrection, we're not going to let you run. We're going to grab every one of you. And we shall also round up all the Satans. These Satans that you see today, in, you know, are amongst from the humans and from the jinn. Look at the news the recently about the shoes, right? Many of you know what I'm speaking about. It's a front major news, right? About the satanic shoes. You look at that and you just, I mean, if you haven't read it, read it to realize what type of satanic era we live in. It's crazy. It's, I can't believe like this type of stuff is happening and this type of music. We talk, I talked about music two weeks ago extensively. Well, this type of music, you know, understand that. If you're listening to music, you know, say bye-bye to your spirituality. You're not going to get anywhere. A person will 100% remain, you know, in ground and in, in, in tied up to this, um, to the shaitan. It's so... I don't know what other proof you want to understand the connection between shaitan and music. How shaitan uses music to lure people in and to enslave them so they can't think otherwise. Long term, they become a slave of him. So right now, it's this, this musician, his, his song is hitting number one in the world. Highest in the charts. And the type of a, the satanism is obvious to a, to a preschooler who would, who would you know, hear about what type of nonsense he's speaking about. Right, so this is something that you need to all reflect upon. That the blessed month of Ramadan is a time when we stay away from bad habits. And if we have a habit of listening to music, let's use this blessed month to get away from it and then stay away from it. I'm serious. This, this is one of the things, if you're wondering, hey, how do I improve as a person? Please put me leaving music as your number one priority. Because you can read Quran. You could be a Hafiz of Quran. You could be leading Taraweeh. But if you're listening to music, you're, you're tied up. You're, you wonder, why can't I move forward? Why do I keep on falling back? As soon as Ramadan ends, I go back to where I was. This is one major sin that doesn't allow a person to spiritually progress. You have a sibling who's involved in it, you have cousins who are involved in it, friends or yourself or any one of us. Please, I, I uh, implore and I, I you know, encourage you that you use this month to pray to Allah after you know, every day in iftar time. Ya Allah, allow me to get rid of these evil habits that I have. Most of us at iftar time, if you're, if you're not looking at the food, are making dua for things that we want. How often are we making dua to Allah to keep us away from sins? That, Ya Allah, these are the bad habits I'm involved in. Seriously, I, I, I'll give you a good idea. Why don't we focus on 30 sins that we're involved in? Write down 29 or 30 sins. And every single day in Ramadan, focus on one sin. And make dua about that sin. That, ya Allah, I'm involved in this sin. And today, after every salah, at maghrib time, at suhoor time, I'm going to be making dua regularly for this sin, that Allah gets me out of that. 30 days, 30 sins you seek Allah's protection from, you'll be a whole different person. There's probably not more than 30 major ones that, you know, big ones that we're involved in. Probably less than that, inshallah. But at max 30. So dedicate, do something different this Ramadan. That we dedicate every day specifically to one mistake, or not just a sin, a bad habit. Bad habit, maybe it's not sinful, but we don't like this habit that we're involved in. And it's, 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 it's ruining our productivity, right? It's, we're not allowed to be efficient. We're not, doing, we're not being the best we can because of this bad habit. Hi, write that down, right? Write that. Who's going to do this? Raise your hand if you're going to work on this, what I just said. 30 mistakes, 30 sins that we're going to work on. Inshallah. All right, all of you listening online, do the same, right? So you write this down and say this in the diary. Keep it to yourself, of course. Don't post that on Instagram. Right? And actually, one of them, number one, should be off of Instagram, all right? Right, so that's the number one. So you can't post it then. Off of Instagram, social media. You'll be a different person. You'll be a different person. Right? Try that. Try that for the month of Ramadan. Come to see me after, you know, they say the doctor says, take this medication, see you in six weeks. So see us after Ramadan and the first Tuesday after Ramadan. 
and be off of social media till then. And I can say in the masjid, I can take an oath that you'll be a different person. You'll be a different person. You'll come back and say, my God, my life is completely changed. Because I've got so much more time now. I've got so much more time than just scrolling and seeing other people's pictures. Right? I actually have a life now. Social media is one of the biggest problems in our life that is, is, is slowing us down, is creating an environment of constant sin. Even in the person sitting in the masjid, he's still scrolling his phone. Whether it's tafsir, Juma khutbah, khatma Qur'an night, tarawih, whatever, all the time, people are always scrolling their phone. And they're not even do, take, you know, doing something beneficial, just simply randomly just clicking and, and, and going through their phones. We know, right? We're all part of suffering. We're all suffering from this. So one great thing, I usually make my own, I like to read the news for like, you know, 10-15 minutes a day. By my Ramadan, this is what I usually like to do. I said, in Ramadan, khalas, out. Right? We're gonna go on a diet of news. Absolutely, like, we'll hear about it when we, after Eid. <laughs> and, if it's, and if it's very important, we will hear about it. That's the reality. And the goal is, I'm, I'm not saying, I don't even say that your person should be reading news. It's not necessary. It's just a, it's just a habit. If, if you get off of it, alhamdulillah, you get off of it. But the idea is, I feel the difference when I shut that off, even reading the news. Because look at, look at the bad news that's always happening. This one dying, that one killing. This, it's so much, it pollutes your mind. Right? How often are we reading good positive news? There's barely anything. It's there, but the they don't, news media doesn't report it. So our mind is always becoming very negative and, and pessimistic because of what we're always hearing about. So if it's related to your business, fine, you're, you're in stocks or you're doing investments or you're doing something, of course, yeah, that's part of your business. But generally speaking, staying away from the news media, staying away from social media will help us grow a lot. So in this blessed month of Ramadan, let's try to make that commitment from those 30 things. One of the things that let me, let me cut down on these things. MashaAllah, I've seen some people putting up on their status, you know, that. Ramadan, they're going to be off of WhatsApp. And they're going to start. So subhanAllah, that's awesome. If you could, you know, do that, that would be even great. Depending, whatever, you know what your weak points are. Look at your um, wellness app in your phone and see where do you spend majority of your time on. Is it YouTube? Is it Netflix? Is it WhatsApp? Is it Instagram? What is it? Full, take that thing and say, khalas, that's it. For the month of Ramadan, I'm cutting this out. And then you see, you're, not, you're doing it for who? You're doing it for yourself. And you say, my God, I feel so much better. I have so much more time now. I'm able to actually enjoy time with my mom and dad, my kids. Or, you know, I'm able to do a lot more ibadah, etc. And then once you, get a, you enjoy it, you'll be able to continue with that, hopefully, hopefully, after Ramadan as well. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then uh, mentions that uh, we will gather sh these disbelievers with the shayateen. And then what we're going to do, we will we'll fetch them round hell on their knees. This ayat is just, you know, gives you the goosebumps. We will make them, we will gather them, we'll pull them, round them up, and then we'll fetch them around the hellfire. Jahannam will be there and they'll be around it. How will they be? Jithiya on their knees, begging. As they'll be dragged. As they'll be dragged towards hellfire, they'll be on their knees. Not dragged from here to there, on the entire plains of Hashar. Thousands of miles. Allahu alam, how big, you know? They'll be dragged towards hellfire. Then most surely we shall pluck from every faction whichever them was the most intense in defying the All-Merciful. Meaning, from all of those people who are sinful, they are the big leaders, the ones who are the most sinful, the ones who are the most disrespectful to Allah. Allah says from every group, I'm going to pick up the leaders one after another. Come. You used to have the megaphone and you used to rile up your people against me. Today is my day. So he says, from every group, Allah will pick up the leaders, the ones who are the most intense in their uh, defiance to Allah. So when you read the news and you say, my God, what's happening? Why Allah, why aren't you doing something? Read these verses. 
and you realize this is part of the plan of Allah. Everything is being noticed. Nothing goes unnoticed. If we have cameras in this masjid, and we have cameras in corporations that we're all with people are watching and whatnot. You think Allah doesn't have a system? Allah is watching everything. Allah says, Asahu Allah wa nasu. Allah encompasses everything, remembers everything, wa nasu, and you forget. You will forget that you had done that until the proof is brought in front of you. Right? So the, every, every, every person will have his day in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, Then assuredly, it is we who are most knowing about all those who are most deserving of roasting in it. Allah says, we will pull out the leaders from every group. Come, you go first. You were always the first in, in your defiance. Today, you're going to be the first to go to hell. And all the, lead, all the people behind you follow through. As Allah says, يَقْدُمُ قَوْمَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فَأَوْرَدَهُمُ النَّارِ Fir'aun himself will be walking in front. You are a leader in the dunya, I'll keep you a leader in the akhirah. You used to always make people stand up against me. Today, you're going to lead these same people with you to hellfire. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here that from after we bring out these leaders from each group, we are the ones who are the most knowledgeable of who is most deserving to go to hell first. Siliya, salah yasli doesn't only mean to enter into hell, it means what? Roast into hell. The word siliya, roasting. Look at the word that's being used here. We know who is most deserving to be roasting in hell. This next verse has been regarded by some scholars as the most intense and most intimidating verse of the entire Qur'an. What is that verse? Verse 71 of Surah Maryam. Allah says, Wa imminkum. And there's not a single one of you human beings. Illa wariduha. But you shall enter hellfire. That's one translation. Number two, Illa wariduha. But you shall come to the hellfire. Kana ala rabbika hatman maqdiyya. It is with your Lord and inevitability decreed. Okay. So this verse is saying, every single human being must come to hellfire. Everyone. All Muslims, non Muslims. Righteous, not righteous, everyone has to come. Wariduha, there's two meanings of this. Warada means to either come to the hell, come to hellfire, see it, and then move on. And wariduha, another opinion of this is dakhiluha, to enter it. So that every single human being, be it a Muslim or non Muslim, will actually enter the hellfire. And when they enter hellfire, of course, for the believer, it's gonna be such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect them from the intensity of the heat, but they still have to go through. I mean, even if you're not in a car accident, to see a car accident happening, is that easy? No, it's not. Even if you're not in a battle zone, you're watching from somewhere else, but to see people, actual people getting killed or tortured, Allah forbid, it's not easy. So for a person to walk through hellfire, to see everything happening, yes, you've got a suit so you don't get, you don't get the smoke and you don't, you don't die and you don't burn and you don't feel the pain, but to be able to see the intensity of the people of hell suffering, is still very, 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 very painful. What's the purpose of this? So that when we go through this, even the believers, then they go towards Jannah, they will realize how lucky they are to be in paradise. That if, it was, if Allah willed otherwise, I'd be there. I look, my friend is there. My sibling is there. Allah forbid. My relative is there. My fulan is there. My, I know all these people. And I could have been there as well. It is only through the mercy of Allah that Allah plucked me out from here and is allowing me to go to paradise. So in, when we, ha, when we enjoy, what does they say, the, the, you know, a blessing, when, when it's taken away, you value it. And at, when, you receive, when you receive a blessing after a long await, then you value it more. Allah wants us to value paradise and for us to not take it for granted. To think that you deserve it all along, that your name was written on it, so you're headed for it. No, you could have been there. Look at all the people who are burning here, who were actually Muslims, who prayed, who fasted, who gave sadaqah, who were people of knowledge. But because of some major sin of theirs, be it insincerity, be it something else, 
be it deception, deceit, whatever, they're suffering and burning here. You and I could have been there. So this ayah, ulama would be saying that one of the most scariest ayahs of the Qur'an, that we're being told that every single one of us has to go into hell. Or at least come towards it. And, and for us to see with our own eyes what's happening. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kana already has happened. Past tense. Ala rabbika ala. It's upon your Lord. It's like a loan upon your Lord. It's a right upon your Lord. Hatman maqdiyya. What is maqdiyya? Comes from qada, decreed. Hatman, inevitable. It's completely inevitably decreed that this must happen. That every one of you must enter hellfire. Or at least one of you must see it. Then we shall deliver those who have been God-fearing. Huh? Those who are people of taqwa will pull them out. But they got to go first. Then we will pull them out. We will deliver those who have been God-fearing. And we shall leave the godless wrongdoers. Fiha in hellfire, jithiya on their knees. You know, my dear friends, there's an, there's an entire surah in the 25th juz. What's it called? Surah Al-Jafiyah. Right? It's, the, the surah is called Jafiyah. وَتَرَى كُلَّ أُمَّةٍ جَافِيَةٍ كُلُّ أُمَّةٍ تُدْعَى إِلَىٰ كِتَابِهَا أَلْيَوْمَ تُدْزَوْنَ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ You will see every nation on the Day of Judgment begging on their knees. Jafiyah means to be begging on your knees. Every single nation, they will be begging there. And so Allah says, we will dump them in hellfire also on their knees. Because this is the most humiliating, humbling posture. Where a person is on his knees begging. May Allah protect us all. For whenever our revealed verses are recited to them with all clarity, the disbelievers inevitably say, invariably say to those who believe, Which of the two groups ours? Or yours is, a, is of a better station in the world And appears the fair company That whenever Quran is recited To the Muslims, non-Muslims And they're invited towards the deen they, they respond by saying Look at us, we've got more money We've got more luxurious lives More physical strength, more armies Everything better than you all So what you all think Even if we were to become Muslims Who's gonna do better in Akhirah? We don't believe in Akhirah We don't believe in God But Based on how things are looking in this world, it seems like, you know what, you don't stand a chance. Even if we hypothetically believe that there's something called the hereafter, and God exists, it seems just like we are light years ahead of you in this dunya, we'll be light years ahead of you in the akhirah. The disbelievers say to the Muslims, what do we have? Maqama. We have a much better station in the world. Look at what we own. Look at the properties we have. Look at the investments. Look at the political clout that we have, that you all don't have. Number two, look at the Nadiya, Nadi, Nida, uh, Nadi, your club. Look at the type of friends we have. Look at the type of contacts we have. Much better than you. Allah responds, Yet how many a disbelieving generation before them we have destroyed for their ungodliness? Who were far better in their worldly furnishings and far better in their appearance than you all. So you all think you're handsome, you're beautiful, and you're powerful. Guess what? Allah, you know, I just passing through some, you know, these bridges recently on this trip, and, and just looking at these bridges that in America we have. Wow, how, how, how you built this. But then immediately you're reminded of Ad and Thamud. Like, look at Petra and the places where you see, they didn't have caterpillar there. Nothing. They sat there with their raw nails and little, you know, small little tools, and they built entire, carved huge houses. Bigger than the size of this masjid that I have seen myself. I've visited, you know, 
Petra and the likes of those places that some of you have probably seen or at least, you know, if not seen, you know, you might have heard about huge houses without any bulldozers, without any mechanical electrical machines. How do, how do they do that? Where do they know? I mean, you have to go see it or see pictures of it to understand what we're talking about. How does a person without any machinery do something like this? Thousands of years ago. Right? So they were powerful. So powerful. Allah says, where are they now? Right? So don't, be, don't be, fall into this deception of the fact that you are more powerful than the Muslims and more wealthier and more beautiful than the Muslims that you think you're ahead of them. No, you're not. There are people who are more powerful than you and they're all gone. There's no mention of them. Say to them, O Rasulullah, say to the one, whichever of us is lost in uttermost misguidance, may the Almighty fully extend that duration for them. Let's, you know, let's make this dua that whoever amongst us is misguided. How about we ask Allah that He give each, that misguided person long life, give that misguided person a lot more blessings. Okay? Why? So this long life and this misguidance will just create even a more solid case against Him. It will, it will be even a more solid case against him for the hereafter. Say to, to them, whichever of us is lost in uttermost misguidance, may the All-Merciful fully extend that duration for them. <laughs> for at last, when they behold the fulfillment of what they have been promised, two things, <laughs> either punishment in the world, or the hour of doom. Fasayalamuna. <laughs> They shall, then they shall know man makana, who is of a worse rank and a weaker army or a weaker host. Okay. So this, this, in this ayah here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa like kind of like a mubahala, like a, like a, um, a competition or no, like an OE, like a, you are challenged rather, I should say a challenge. That we're challenging. How about we, we both ask Allah? Whoever is misguided, may Allah shower His more, you know, more time and space and, and energy and, and life to them. And then, eventually it's going to come to an end. One of two things will happen to the ones who are dis, disobedient to Allah. Either you're going to get punished here, meaning you're saying we are the bad ones. We're saying you're the bad ones. How about we together say, okay, whoever is the bad one, may he, what, may he end up with one of these two things. Either he should get punished in this world at the hands of the other person, or through a natural disaster. Or he should, if he doesn't get punished and he dies normal death, apparently normal death, then he's going to be faced with the hour of doom. If you don't believe, we've gave you so many proofs, you don't believe, then at least say this. You know, the, may the worst amongst us face this punishment. This is between Muslims and non-Muslims, of course. Allah, he's saying, Allah says, you think you're challenging and you are arrogant over your wealth and your power? Soon you'll find out who has a weaker army. In front of Allah, your army will be nothing, non-existent. And your, your status will be none. For Allah ever increases those who are guided aright in divide guidance. Those who have hidayah, they will continue to increase in guidance. Meaning, as time passes, those who are guided will get closer to Almighty Allah. Every day, your guidance will increase. If you're on the right path, you're going to continuously increase in your right guidance. And the abiding deeds of righteousness are far better in a reward with your Lord in the hereafter. And therefore far better in their ultimate return. 
Okay, brothers, you have $100. Two people have $100. One guy is sold, why don't you buy a lottery ticket with this? One guy says, let me give sadaqah to an orphan. Even if that $100 lottery ticket ended up making him win 100000 But what Allah says, what's going to be the long-lasting is actually the $100 you gave to that orphan. Because this 100000 is going to bring so much nahusa and evil. Not only in the hereafter, but most definitely in this world. Unbelievable. How, you know, many brothers, I'm mentioning this about money, many people say, I'm having a lot of weird stuff happening in my home. I have a lot of shaitani, jinnati type of stuff going on. Can we give some wazifa and this, that? The ulama, they say that those who are involved in major sins, especially interest, then no, all your wazifa is not going to help you. Because when a person gets involved in sins like zina that we talked about, sins like riba, then shaitan really takes over your mind. You don't need a separate jinn or something else happened to you. He's just gonna, he's gonna be controlled like a remote control car. You're his. You sold your soul to the devil. If, you get in, if you're involved in interest, you get involved in zina on a consistent basis and not make it repenting from that, it's done. We're not going to get ourselves out of this mess. And no matter what amulet, what ruqya you want to read, you're not gonna, you won't have that effect. The biggest ruqya you can do is give up sin. The biggest ruqya you do is give up major sin. That's the number one thing. Then, of course, you can you know, go ahead and do other things. But if a person is involved in major sins and wants to do all the other things, it doesn't work like that. Because even if you treat something, the biggest devil is on your mind, right? He's still controlling your heart, turning us away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're hearing about baqiyatul salihat. Look at long-term investments. Don't look at immediately what's the highest return, that this is interest money or a quick, quick buck I'm going to get. No, that's going to end. Baqiyat al-salihat. Those rewards that are going to remain long-term. Those are the things Allah says, خَيْرٌ مَرَدَّ They're going to have a much better return with Allah. أَفَرَيْتَ الَّذِي كَفَرُ بِآيَاتِنَا وَقَالَ لَأُوتَيَنَّ مَالًا وَوَلَدًا Oh Muhammad Sallallahu have you seen the one who disbelieved in our revealed signs? And he says, لَأُوتَيَنَّ مَالًا وَوَلَدًا I shall most surely be given great wealth and fine children should the hereafter come about. أَطَّلْعَ الْغَيْبِ Has he looked into the realm of the unseen? Or has he taken with the All-Merciful a binding covenant? No, indeed, he has not. We shall write down whatever he says. And we shall extend for him the duration of the torment exceedingly. And for we shall inherit from him all that whereof he speaks. And he shall come to us alone. Okay, what is this referring to? This is referring to an a, a incident that took place between two individuals during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and it, it, uh, uh, a, a conversation that happened. Okay. So Khabab radiallahu anhu, I'll share with you the shanu nuzul, the reason of the revelation of this verse. Khabab radiallahu anhu says that I had a loan, I had a debt. I had borrowed it. Asa ibn Wail had borrowed money from me. Asma is a disbeliever. فَأَتَيْتُ خَبَّابَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ I came to him, أَتَقَاضَهُ asking him to pay it back to me. He said, لَنْ أَقْضِيَاكَ حَتَّى تَكْفُرَ بِمُحَمَّدِ I'm not going to give the money back until you refuse, and, and rather until you make kufr of Muhammad, until you reject Muhammad قُلْتُ لَهُ لَنْ أَكْفُرْ بِهِ حَتَّى تَمُوتْ ثُمَّ تُبْعَثْ I said, Khabbab said, I will never disbelieve in him until you die and until you get resurrected. He told Ras responded, Are you saying I'm going to be resurrected after death? Okay. I'll see you on the other side. He's joking, sarcasm. 
He says, I will pay your money back when I get to the hereafter. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed this ayah. Um, in, in another narration, um, uh, As bin Wild told um, Khabab, he said, He said, Oh, Khabab, do you not claim that in paradise you can have gold and silver and silk? Khabab said, Yes. He said, Then give me time. I'll pay back from the gold and silver I'm going to have in paradise. He was making fun of Khabab. So Allah revealed these verses. He says, This person, he disbelieves in our signs and then he claims that he's going to be given wealth and children hereafter. How? Has he looked up into the Loh al-Mahfud and seen As bin Wa'il is going to have Jannah? How are you making such bold claims? Or have you made a secret covenant with Allah that, Oh Allah, I'm going to disbelieve in you, but you're going to give me Jannah. Allah is asking, Kalla, never. We are writing all of this trashy language, stuff you're saying. This sarcastic kufr that you're saying, we're writing it down. All the sarcasm that you see in today's media, in the comedy. The media comedy is, is full of kufr, 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 blasphemy. So much blasphemy. It's unbelievable how much of these, you know, the comedy that's available all around us, there's like no clean comedy anymore. Everything is blasphemous, everything is filled with the highest degrees of kufr. Highest degrees. This is like a very big source of atheism, right? Where you poke fun of God and divine, and you poke fun of everything. That it, none of this exists. Even poke fun of what? Shaitan. You guys hear what I just said? Even poking fun of shaitan is also going from where? Leading to what? Atheism. Because shaitan, we have to believe in him. He's mentioned in the Quran tens of times. So if a person who tries to say shaitan doesn't exist is also a very big problem. He's the biggest shaitan right there. That's also being inspired by shaitan. I, I, I hear me out. The ones who use all their media ability to say shaitan doesn't exist, they're actually the biggest agents of shaitan. Because the biggest trick that the devil wants to play with us is to make us believe he doesn't exist. The Christians and the Jews and the, of the past, they believed in Satan. And they would say things that, oh, may, you know, may, may we be protected from the Satan and whatnot. But today's media and today's music industry, that's what it's doing. Not only are we denying God's existence, they are trying, but also making us believe the devil doesn't exist. From whatever way, stop believing in the unseen. Because if you believe in the devil, at least you know that there's some, if the devil exists, there must be the antithesis of the devil as well. Shaitan is there, angels are there, Allah is there. This is all part of the unseen. The main maqsad and the purpose of the Dajjal the, the today, the Dajjali era that we live in, the main purpose is to stop believing in the unseen. Be it shaitan, be it angels, be it whatever it is. May Allah protect us. I hope you understand what I said. This is one of the you know, golden things that we got to remember. That the attacks are taking place to stop allowing us to believe in the unseen. وَنَرِثُهُ مَا يَقُولُ Allah says, we are going, he's, going to get, he's talking a lot. On the day of judgment, he's going to come to me alone. He's going to come to me alone. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to quickly go through the translation of these last um, verses here, okay? Inshallah. We'll go up a little bit closer to the salah, but let's finish this, inshallah. What. Um, now they have taken false gods apart from the only true Allah so that they may be for them a means to power. Allah says, why are they committing shirk? Because they think that they're going to get assistance through these false gods. <laughs> You're, you are 
mistaken. No, indeed, they are not going to get any assistance from these false gods. On the day of judgment, these same false gods shall belie their very worship of them. For they themselves will become their opponents. The gods that you worship, Allah is saying, they will be standing against you on the court in front of me on the day of judgment. You think they're going to help you? They're going to be the first ones to testify against you. Similarly, the false gods, if we, if we break Allah's orders because of our wife, our husband, our children, our business, our friends, these very same friends and spouse will be the, the biggest uh, you know, t- testimony against us on the day of judgment. Have you not seen, O Prophet that we have sent the shaitans against the disbelievers to instigate evil amongst them with such a vehement instigation? Going back to this music industry, Going back to this disbelief that's being created through comedy. What do you see? You're seeing these people are being pushed. Being pushed. That break the... Yani, try to say something which is even worse than what you said last week. Try to say something which is even more vile than what you said last month. Where, where do you get this type of ideas from? Allah says, Shaitan is actually sitting there pushing them. He's, he's the one who's writing their script. He's the one who's writing their songs. He is the one who's giving them their late night show script. He inspires them. Like how we say, Allah, you know, Allah put this in my heart. We say this, right? Alhamdulillah, a good intention came in my heart. Similarly, they are breaking the orders of Allah because shaitan is putting things in their heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says, I have let the shayateen loose upon them. I have let them loose upon them. And they vehemently instigate them to push people away from Allah. فَلَا تَعْجَلْ عَلَيْهِمْ Thus make no haste as to seeking God's judgments against them. We but number for them a determined number of days and deeds. You remember I said at the beginning, I said this is one of my favorite rukus of the Quran. It's just beautiful. Allah says, don't hurriedly start cursing them. I got it. I'm watching. I'm watching. We count every breath, every grain of of rice that goes into their mouth. Everything has been accounted from. Don't think Allah is not watching. Don't hurry. See Allah, destroy them, destroy them. Why are they not being destroyed? Their time of destruction is written. When their water finishes, when their food finishes, when their breath finishes, they'll die. Okay. Until the day of hereafter, when the, we assemble the God-fearing before the All-Merciful in honored delegations. The disbelievers are going to be on their knees begging. And the Muslims and the Muttaqeen will be in honorable delegations being gathered together. And we will drive the defiant unbelievers to hellfire in disgraced droves. One explanation of wirda is droves. One, another explanation is like thirsty. They will be rushed towards Jahannam thirsty. None holds the right of intercession. But those believers who have taken with the All-Merciful a special covenant for this. Meaning, no one will be able to say, please, Ya Allah, have mercy on him. You know, in the, even in the, this dunya, if the police is arresting someone, you cannot go say, please let him go. They say, hey, who are you to speak? Imagine Allah Azza wa Jal. No intercession allowed. No one can give testimony, no one can speak on anyone's behalf, unless Allah gives them the green light. And they made a covenant with Allah. How do you make a covenant with Allah? Well, you study the Quran, you practice on the Quran, you become a half of the Quran, become a da'i of the deen, become a shaheed, become... A, a student of knowledge. All of these examples of people who will get the ability to intercede on behalf of others. So that's what it means by making a covenant, is that you do those things which would make you worthy of being a intercessor on the Day of Judgment. وَقَالَ اتَّخَذَ الرَّحْمَنُ وَلَدًا 
Moreover, those who disbelieve have said, the All-Merciful has taken to himself a son. I, I spoke about these verses also some weeks ago. Allah says, look at how horrible the speech of the disbelievers is. Uh, as disbeliever is who attributes a son to Allah. Allah says very truly, who say this have come forth with something abominable. This is horrible what you just said. You're saying that Allah has a son. How horrible is this? From it, meaning this speech of yours is so bad, from it the heavens nearly burst. And the earth almost splits. And the mountains all but fall down in sudden collapse. Why is this happening? That they should ascribe to the All-Merciful a son. While never would it be befitting to the All-Merciful that he take a son. Meaning, this speech is so vile and so poisonous and so filthy and so toxic that we're, having, we're about to have a natural disaster times ten. The earth wants to split open, the heavens want to fall down, the, the mountains want to collapse. Why are they not doing it? Because Allah is saying, hold it, hold it. Let them see all the nonsense they went, we're writing everything they'll say, and they will say, why you all should suffer because of them? Why should you have to collapse because of them? You stay in your place. They will have their day in court and they will suffer for eternity for what they're saying. My dear friends, to understand the effects that today we're, we're, we're ruining the environment through our uh, way we lead our lives. Isn't this true? environment, waterways and space pollution to noise pollution to sound pollution to you know, earth pollution, every type of pollution we're causing. What we don't realize also we're causing a huge sin pollution too. The type of way we deal with Allah is, is making the nature so disgusted, so angry, so upset. And one sin of blue moon, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells nature, okay, I'll let you vent your frustration for a couple seconds. And there you go, a tsunami happens, an earthquake happens, you know, a storm happens. That's what is it? That's nature venting for a few seconds against the human beings. Allah says, Verily, truly, we have enumerated each one of them and have numbered every one of them with precise number. Meaning, every statement that these disbelievers are saying, all is being accounted for. Thus, each one of them is coming to Allah on the Day of Judgment all alone. Today, when we're in groups, we feel that confident that we can speak against Allah, break an order of Allah. But when you're alone, all of your confidence is going to go down the drain. Allah is saying here, everyone is going to come to Allah alone. As for those who, do, who believe and do righteous deeds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall ordain in their hearts a genuine mutual love. You've heard this before. When Allah loves a human being, Allah tells Jibreel to love him. And the Jibreel begins to love him and he, or, and he tells the angels of the seventh heaven to love him. And this keeps on going all the way till Allah puts acceptance of this individual in the hearts of the people. So through the barakah of righteous deeds, we become beloved to one another. If we have ikhlas and we're doing what's right, inshallah, not only will the angels love us, fellow human beings will also love us. Therefore, we have indeed revealed this Quran to you. And made it easy for you to understand in your native tongue, O Prophet. Why did we reveal this? For you to give it with glad tidings of Jannah to the God fearing, and to forewarn therewith a contentious people of the Allah's nearing judgment. Meaning, the Quran has been revealed in a beautiful, easy Arabic language. Two things, so that you can give glad tidings of paradise to the Muslims, and you can warn and forewarn those people who are argumentative and do not want to accept. Tell them, if you don't want to believe, 
Allah is already saying, promises hell. For how many a disbelieving generation before them we have destroyed? The kuffar of Makkah are not the first, nor are they last. Many disobedient generations like this have come, and they've been destroyed. هَلْ تُحِسُّ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ Do you perceive even one of them? What a powerful ending of this verse, of this surah. هَلْ تُحِسُّ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ Do you perceive even one of those destroyed nations? أَوْ تَسْمَعُ لَهُمْ Or do you hear from them a single sound? They're gone. And you will also be gone. Every single defiant nation will be destroyed. Do not become overwhelmed. Do not become depressed. When you look at the disbelievers of the past or disbelievers of today, just like the disbelievers of the past have gone, the disbelievers of today will also be destroyed. We have to make sure that we do what's right and ensure that we do not, be, do not waver under pressure from our society. We ask Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He protect us from following the path of the disbelievers and all the beautiful qualities and the things that we have discussed in these past 14 sessions of Surah Maryam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring the good and the khair into our lives. Allow us to remain dedicated students of knowledge for the rest of our lives. Subhanallah wa hamdihi, subhanallah wa hamdihi, inshaAllah ilaha illa wa tubi ilayk. InshaAllah we're sorry for the delay. We'll start the adhan and niqama right after. I want to give a special thanks and congratulations to all of those who participated in any or all of these uh, uh, sessions online or on site. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase you in every good that, you, that is possible and protect you from every evil. Subhanallah wa hamdihi, subhanallah wa hamdihi. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Ashhadu an la أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة
الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين أفرأيت الذي كفر بآياتنا وقال لأوتين مالا وولدا أطلع الغيب أم اتخذ عند الرحمن عهدا كلا سنكتب ما يقول ونمد له من العذاب مدا ونرثه ما يقول ويأتينا فردا واتخذوا من دون الله آلهة ليكونوا لهم عزا كلا سيكفرون بعبادتهم ويكونون عليهم ضدا ألم تر أن أرسلنا الشياطين على الكافرين تؤزهم أزا فلا تعجل عليهم إنما نعد لهم عدا يوم نحشر المتقين إلى الرحمن وفدا ونسوق المجرمين إلى جهنم وردا لا يملكون الشفاعة إلا من اتخذ عند الرحمن عهدا وقالوا اتخذ الرحمن ولدا لقد جئتم شيئا إدا الله سمع الله لمن حمده الله الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين 
لقد جئتم شيئا إدا تكاد السماوات يتفطرن منه وتنشق الأرض وتخر الجبال هدا أن دعوا للرحمن ولدا وما ينبغي للرحمن أن يتخذ ولدا إن كل من في السماوات والأرض إلا آتي الرحمن عبدا لقد أحصاهم وعدهم عدا وكلهم آتيه يوم القيامة فردا إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات سيجعل لهم الرحمن ودا فإنما يسرناه بلسانك لتبشر به المتقين لتبشر به المتقين وتنذر به قوما لدا وكم أهلكنا قبلهم من قرن هل تحس منهم من أحد أو تسمع لهم ركزا الله سمع الله لمن حميده الله 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 سمع الله لمن حميده الله 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 سمع الله لمن حميده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر 
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الله أكبر استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله الذي لا إله إلا استغفر الله الذي لا إله إلا استغفر الله الذي لا إله الله لا إله إلا رحيم ما تقول سمعت أنا ولا تسمع كلام الله لا شيء I'd like to make inshallah some announcements um, So especially for those who are visiting on Tuesday night for the tafsir Just wanted to go over some of the events that are happening this week As well as the Ramadan schedule So inshallah this Friday evening we'll have a uh, Taraweeh workshop for Hufal Those who are leading Taraweeh Salah at 6pm It'll be live streamed also But we'll have it in person here 6pm right after Salat al-Asr all the way to Isha Different scholars from IAE, from IFS, from Masjid al-Uthman, from Darul Salam Will be addressing the Hufal on, on uh, different etiquettes of leading taraweeh, the tajweed, uh, how to give a short talk, khatira, etc. So it's a beautiful training workshop, plus there'll be basketball and food. Secondly, this Friday evening we'll be having a pre-Ramadan fiqh of, fiqh of Ramadan, fiqh of fasting workshop after Maghrib and continuing until about 10.30. Um, so we'll have a session between Maghrib and Isha with Mufti Min Haj and inshallah myself after Salat al-Isha. This is this Friday evening for the entire community, a fiqh of Ramadan workshop. And then Sunday, uh, April 10th, 11th, we'll have from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. pre-Ramadan, the Bazaar for Sisters only. Um, it's a, an exciting event that they've put up, and the purpose of it is to get sisters connected to the masjid and the seminary and the programs of it, and through uh, providing them an opportunity for them to buy some things as well. There's um, a children's reading room. They can have some sisters coming reading books to the kids. They can have uh, games for the kids. They can have the basketball court available, and they have games set up for the sisters. So it's a uh, teenage girls, younger girls, and our mothers and sisters from the community. It's a perfect uh, event, alhamdulillah, first of its type, and hopefully many more to come taking place this Sunday, April 11th, kindly spread the word. Um, and the details are at masjidds.org backslash bazaar. And then uh, for Ramadan, uh, I want to go over that. Inshallah, more than likely next Tuesday night will be um, the first taraweeh, but we'll wait till confirmation from the Chicago Hilal and it will be on our website. But during taraweeh here, we'll have a daily tafsir. So those of you who are coming from far, uh, you might not be able to come every day, uh, for example, but you're praying in your local masjid. <laughs> Uh, however, we, have, we will have a daily tafsir here every night after taraweeh And it will be live streamed as well And um, we'll have taraweeh in the gym We'll have taraweeh over here, the banquet hall And in different various classrooms So uh, please make sure if, you're, if you don't have taraweeh available in your own area Definitely come through here There's a lot of space and a lot of great arrangements have been made here For hundreds of brothers and sisters to comfortably be able to perform taraweeh salah the, the, the program schedule will be daily after Isha, after the Taraweeh will be Tafsir, daily after Fajr there will be a short talk, and then daily after Asr we'll have an hour uh, lecture um, like we did in previous years, and the details of that will be announced inshallah in the coming days. And we'll also have arrangements for iftar. There's an iftar sign-up sheet for those who wanted to sponsor. Alhamdulillah, there's a few slots left if you, haven't, if you would like to do so. So we'll have boxed iftar available for brothers here to come. Come before, come before Maghrib, do dua, sit in the masjid, Connect yourselves with Allah Azza wa Jal. And then after the adhan is called, you can take your boxed uh, iftar and enjoy the meal. And then in 10 minutes after that, we'll have our Salatul Maghrib. Um, so that's the schedule for the first 20 days. And then the last 10 days, we'll have a full-fledged i'tikaf program like we've done in previous years. 
So many of you have already registered. If you haven't done so and you're planning to do itikaf this year, I request you to please do so today. Because there are limited slots and we don't want to, we want to make sure you get your slot. So uh, we, rec we do want everyone to try to get their vaccines done as well. Darussalam here is also helping those brothers who are trying to do itikaf but don't have access to a vaccine. Inshallah, you can reach out to me. Reach out to the office and I'll help you with that. Um, but, so, but if you are planning to do sunnah itikaf, please register for that now or even nafil. Um, and we'll have a very, for those of you who have not done uh, itikaf before, especially the brothers here, younger brothers, I would highly recommend, highly, highly recommend this is a life-changing experience. Please come for as many days as you can, even if it means for three days or two days. We have a very good schedule here and it will be extremely spiritually rejuvenating and um, academically also inspiring, inshallah, ta'ala. And um, we have, yeah, so that's pretty much for the uh, Ramadan announcements that we have. Um, for those of us who have been coming from Chicago, I, may Allah bless you. And I see you all coming from far and wide for the tafsir. I don't want you to deprive yourself of coming in Ramadan. At least once a week still come. Come on Friday night, come on Saturday night, whatever day works for you. But definitely try to come here at least once a week to stay connected. And then the Tuesday immediately after Eid, we will restart our tafsir sessions. And let's make dua for our brother, the, our, the brother who is the janitor here, Brother Abdul Shakur, who is uh, not feeling well, and any other brothers and sisters of the community who are, uh, who are sick. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين آمين